Sunday with Miriam on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Supervalue Insurance. Offering sound advice for your car, home and travel insurance needs. Well, first up, author Liz Nugent's latest book, Strange Sally Diamond, is still doing incredibly well in the bestseller lists. And she's been in cities around the world promoting it, speaking at festivals, meeting other authors and most importantly, meeting her readers. But for years, Liz has been dealing with muscle spasms and severe pain that affect her daily life. There's hope that deep brain stimulation will help. And Liz Nugent is here this morning in our studio, along with Professor Richard Walsh, who's a consultant neurologist in the Mater and Tala hospitals and clinical lead for the National Brain Stimulation Service. Morning to you both. Good morning. morning. Yeah, you both look great. Liz, listen, before we get into the details about the procedure which you're going to have, tell me first a little bit about dystonia, how it affects you and I suppose the origins of it, how you got it in the first place. Well, the first thing that happened was when I was about six years old, I six or seven, I was sliding down the balusters at home and uh, slipped and fell off and uh, landed on my brother's head first on my brother's tricycle, which is in the hall and had a brain hemorrhage. So that was the, the first, that was the instigating factor, I suppose. And I think most people who have dystonia are born with it. So I'm unusual to have it, you know, as an Mm. acquired brain injury. So um, the way it has affected me all my life is that my right leg and my right arm do not respond in the normal way to, to my brain's instructions. There's something wrong in the wiring of my brain that the messages don't get through. So I walk with a limp and I, you know, as regards writing, I can only type with one hand. I can't type with my right hand. And um, so I guess the way it affected me was that I wasn't able to participate in sports. I could never learn a musical instrument. Um, But, you know, I can do the important things. I can cook, I can eat, I can, you know, (laughs) I can... uh, the, there's there's very little I can't do, but at the same time, increasingly, it's more difficult for me to walk. And it's, you know, the pain levels are up than they were before. And I think that's really increased since I had, I had actually this day four years ago, I had an accident and uh, tripped and fell over a, a deck at a friend's house and uh, smashed my patella and tibia. And ever since that um, instant, I've never really got back to the place I was before. So pain has been an everyday thing since then. So in other words, something maybe in the past when you were younger caused Mm. you maybe discomfort, but now it's becoming a much more acute presence in your life? Yeah. Yeah. So Richard, what is dystonia? So it's a good question, Mary. Dystonia is, is a poorly understood, somewhat enigmatic condition which like many medical disorders involves the loss of a system we take for granted. And when we lose it, it causes uh, a troublesome chronic uh, symptom that much like this is described. So, for example, as we're all sitting here, we're not thinking about how our head sits on our shoulders. Our, our mm-hmm. head doesn't right to sit comfortably on our shoulders. It's like a bowling ball sitting on a, on a suitcase. It wants to fall forward. It wants to be somewhere else. But we're not thinking about what muscles we're activating. And when you look up at your producer, you almost reflexively turn your head and we turn to each other as we're speaking without considering what we're doing. Mm-hmm. When we're standing in a queue in the supermarket, we're not thinking about how our 
body sits on her legs or what position our legs are in. So we have blueprints within our brains which are have evolved millennia ago, which are hardwired for particular common movements. Okay. More complex movements we put more thought into and engage our cortex, which is a newer area of our brain from an evolutionary point of view. But we share the same system with crocodiles and cats, this basic system which has blueprints for postures and certain positions that happen automatically. So dystonia seems to be a condition either genetically or post-traumatically, like in, uh, like in your case, where uh, this system goes awry and we start to fight our brain for control of our body. So our, our arm, will, for example, want to twist into a certain position or our foot would want to turn into a certain position that's uncomfortable. We see genetic forms in, in children where their whole body becomes involved and they're pulled into contorted, uncomfortable positions, which are hugely disabling. And in adults, we see what we call adult onset focal dystonia, where certain areas of the body are affected. So we will often, and you, you may have seen people on the bus or the train where their head is tilting to one side mm. or seems to have a, an unusual uh, position off their head when speaking to you. Some people have excessive blinking of their eyes. There are some more trivial examples like the yips in golf is a, is a focal dystonia, a task to specific dystonia. And actually writers can develop writer's cramp, which is dystonia just of the hand. And again, poorly understood, but it may be due to excessive hours of using a pen. So, um, as I say, it's poorly understood, but it seems to be a, a blueprint problem within, the, within this area of the brain. But like, to me, looking at Liz... She looks perfect. Her head's holding, like, it looks perfect to me. But would you know that Liz had dystonia? Yes. If you, so if you were to go... And you see look, me walking. Yes. Yeah. Because it mostly involves your, your arm and your leg. Yeah. Um, but again, and for the same reason, often compared to having chronic low back pain, people can actually look quite well. Mm. But as they're sitting in front of you, they're dealing with a constant struggle to control uh, their muscles, which are trying to pull them into unnatural and uncomfortable positions. Our usual approach for, for treating dystonia has, has been to inject those muscles to make them ignore what the brain is telling them to do. So we don't understand why the circuit disorder in the brain is causing these movements. Um, and our first port of call for therapy is to tell the muscles, which are normal, they're normal muscles, but they're only obeying faulty commands coming down to them from the brain. So we can inject botulinum toxin into these muscles. Is that with, Botox? With Botox being one brand of botulinum toxin. And we all we were all recently familiar with that tragic case in, during the World Cup where, where botulism caused weakness mm. in, in a lady who was affected tragically. Um, so we are essentially harnessing that toxin. It's one of the most potent toxins in nature, actually. But we can paralyse mu particular muscles. Now, you, you, you I did have that. Yeah, I, I developed antibodies to Botox, which was really bad news for my face, but <laughs> worse news for my, for my leg. And that there is... There's three different, Botox, as, as uh, Richard said, is a, a brand name, but there's three different types. And my neurologist in, in Vincent's, um, Shona Reardon and Professor Michael Hutchinson, they both, they tried all three toxins and I had antibodies to every single one of them. So, yeah, that no longer became an option. That was keeping me going for quite a long time. And it was very stable for a long time. But since that, as a treatment, fell away, um, the only thing now really is physiotherapy, although, you know, I got an email from a physiotherapist a couple of weeks ago saying we've done all we can. Good luck with the deep brain stimulation. 
Okay, and just before we get to this deep brain stimulation, which is fascinating, you know, like recently, like your book is still, I think it was the one of three best-selling books this year. I've seen you at all the festivals. I met you at an awards ceremony lately, but it's really impacted on you, hasn't it? Because you were saying a lot of the time you just stay in your hotel rooms like you're very limited yeah like I guess I'm very lucky that my husband can travel with me so uh, Richard comes with me to everything great guy Uh, we all know yeah um, he is Um, so he travels with me all the time I get wheelchair assistance through airports but um, yeah like a lot of these festivals I go to you know I'm in amazing cities and unless we hire a car and go off for the day, which we did in Calendar recently, went to Whistler from Vancouver and went to Banff from Calgary, unless we can hire a car and do that and I have that space, I'm just seeing the inside of a hotel room. Mm-hmm. I don't really have the ability to go out and walk around the cities, which is a, a great shame. Which is why you wanted to... So what is deep brain stimulation treatment procedure? What is it? So deep brain stimulation is a form of functional neurosurgery. Um, so neurosurgery, uh, I'm not a neurosurgeon, but I look at work with Catherine Moran, who's our, our functional neurosurgeon in Beaumont Hospital. Traditional neurosurgery is where a part of the brain is cut away, where it is misbehaving or diseased. So, for example, brain tumours are cut away or a part of the brain that's generating epilepsy can be cut away. Okay. So neurosurgery traditionally involves removal of diseased tissue. Functional neurosurgery involves placing electrodes within the brain to try and adapt aberrant circuits. Mm. So we're not removing brain tissue, we're trying to restore a more normal pattern of activity. So our brain works through a number of complex parallel circuits that are constantly whirring away as we're all sitting here. Massive complexity we're only beginning to understand. And it was learned three decades ago that if we can implant an electrode deep into these areas where that blueprint for automatic movement is controlled I spoke about, we can restore that abnormal circuitry. So an analogy sometimes used for patients is traditional neurosurgery, for example, if you had a flickering light bulb in your house extension and all the light bulbs in that room were misfiring, traditional neurosurgery would involve bulldozing that room, bricking it off and preserving the parts of the house that are normal. Whereas DBS and functional neurosurgery involves tinkering with the fuse box and trying to tap into the the um, electrical circuit within the house to try and restore normal activity to the electricity in that room. So we're implanting a a very fine electrode, a little over a millimetre wide, into a target that's about the size of two tic-tac suites. And is this what's going to be done for Liz? That's what the neurosurgeon will be doing for for Liz in December. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's it's very low risk. Um, The worst thing that can happen is nothing, that there'll be no improvement. And, you know, I'm sort of prepared for that, but very hopeful that something good will happen. And uh, the neurologist I met in London that you sent me to, Richard, Francesca Morgante, uh, she she reckoned there there's a 90% chance of a, a, a reduction in pain. And, you know, if nothing else happens, <laughs> I'll take that. And you, Richard, being kind of a medic, what are your chances, do you think, of success for Liz, what do you think? So, we, well, just to, to pull it back mm. a little bit, there are three main conditions we treat with, with deep brain stimulation. Tremor, essential tremor being the most common tremor condition that we see in, in many people uh, over the age of 60 particularly, um, but also in younger patients. Parkinson's disease would be the most common reason for mm. deep brain stimulation. 
And in those conditions, we can generally say, yes, there's a kind of a 70 to 90% chance of very significant, meaningful improvement in symptoms. Dystonia is one of the three conditions which we're always a little cautious and we tend to hedge our bets a little bit in terms of offering any guarantees of success. Um, but certainly we know that pain responds best. And so, yes, you would hope to be optimistic that there's, you know, 70 to 90 percent improvement in pain. Movements are a little bit less predictable in, mm. in how they behave. And certainly where someone has dystonia as a result of trauma, rather than the more common genetic mm. dystonias where an MRI scan looks entirely normal, it's again a little bit more unpredictable. So um, I'm not evading the question, but mm. you certainly would, would hope that there's a better chance than not of some meaningful improvement. I just uh, feel like I have nothing to lose. Yeah. I might as well do it than yeah. not do it. You know, I have nothing to lose. Definitely. Yeah. Why do you have to go to London to get it? Well, again, that's a that's a Richard question. It's the HSE funding, I guess. Well, yes, we, we've been very fortunate to, to have HSE funding now for the last two years for, for a deeper insulation uh, programme in Ireland. So it's run between myself and, and Tal in the Matter <laughs> and uh, Beaumont as a network. Catherine Moran is our surgeon in Beaumont, as I said. And we're getting about two surgeries done per month now. Prior to 2020, we had devolved all deep brain stimulation activity to the NHS, which we were glad to be able to do. But it was a rare example of what's very much a standard medical therapy being outsourced to a, a foreign country. Actually, patients were delighted to get there and to have their treatment, mm. but it involved a lot of travel over and back. Uh, and so it wasn't satisfactory on many levels. So um, we now, as I say, have a, have a, a nascent service in, in Dublin. Um, we need for a, a country of this size, probably between five and six surgeries per month. And it's capacity now for two per month in Bowman. So we do have to rely on, on private health insurers who will often cover travel to London for the surgical episode. And we Thank do you, VHI. Yes. Yeah, um, so that, that has taken some heat out of the system for us. And also through the NTPF, we're sending some patients for the surgical process in London. And they come back to us in the matter where we program the battery. So it's kind of th- there's three elements to the, the, the whole process is kind of choosing the person who's likely to benefit. Because, again, at the end of the day, it's, it's brain surgery. You know? mm. And so we do have to try and choose people who are likely to derive some uh, positive outcome. Then the surgical step, which of course is a major step when you rely on the skill of the neurosurgeon to drop that electrode into the middle of the brain without hitting a blood vessel. Um, and that's a genuine risk. It's, not, it's what we call a non-zero risk, but a small risk of causing a bleed on the brain. Poor uh, Liz is sitting yeah. here. Yeah, I was just <laughs> thinking of my mother at home going, oh my God, I've told her this is a, such a low risk <laughs> surgery. And now Hopefully she's not listening. <laughs> oh, she is. <laughs> so that's, but it's, it's small but real. But again, we, we are, it's important to be honest when you are sending people for surgeries of this nature. But then yeah. in the main, of course, patients come back to us well and we then in the matter program the battery to try and interfere with that abnormal circuitry to see if we can produce any it's mad. It's like a, a pacemaker for the brain, you know, as described. And then they put a battery pack in your chest. So they make an incision in your chest and they put a battery pack in there. And then you walk away with a remote control. Isn't that <laughs> extraordinary? Yeah. Like, it's, it's a, what's incredible for me is yeah. that I suffered this injury almost 50 years ago and that medical science has finally caught up. I never thought this would happen in my lifetime. And now there's a chance that there may be improvement. Now, it might not work, but as I said, I have nothing to lose. 
It's might just as well extraordinary. And I mean, you're off to Iceland, I think, for a book festival, aren't you? And it's after that you're going to London well, to have this done. Actually, next weekend I'm going to the Allingham Arts Festival. I'm in the Great. Abbey Centre, I think. Uh, I'll have to on Saturday. And then the following weekend I'm going to Iceland Noir, which is a Icelandic crime festival. And the week after that I'm going to Bulgaria where they're launching Strange Savvy Diamond, then they've invited me over for the launch. So I'm busy right up until I arrive back to Dublin on the 1st of December. I go to London on the 3rd of December and go into hospital on the 4th of December. But I'm, I'm glad because I'm so busy, I don't have time to think about this. And actually one of our listeners, Grania, who's in Cork, says, Hi Miriam, I wish Liz all the best. Please, best. Oh. Please tell her that Strange Sally Diamond was the best book I read in a long, long time. It's impossible to put down. Each page called me to the next and I'm looking forward to more of her great work. And of course you write fiction, but what you're about to do in your own life it's like extraordinary in its own right. I mean, do you think your character or any character of yours will ever have a procedure like you're about to have in London? Well, I mean, people keep, yeah, it's, you know, that, that saying like it's not brain surgery. It is brain surgery <laughs> and I don't know anything about it. And I don't write science fiction. So, I, yeah, I don't think, I don't think, um, you know, I do very little research on my books. Like I, I write the books and then I go back and see whether everything I've said is possible. So, yeah, I don't think I'll be writing about brain surgery unless Richard wants to. The extraordinary <laughs> thing is, Richard, though, yeah, we always love saying it's not brain surgery. I mean, what you do is you work on the brain. And as Liz said, even in her own lifetime, she can't believe yeah. how much advances there have been, for instance, in brain surgery, brain stimulation. Do you find your job endlessly fascinating? Absolutely, yeah. No two days are the same. Um, And uh, the change, particularly over the last 10 to 15 years, has been enormous. Um, And particularly in neurology, where we expect to see an explosion of novel therapies and technologies over the next 20 years, which, which of course, we keep talking about this tsunami of neurodegenerative disease in particular. Now, dystonia is not a neurodegenerative disease. But the way our change, our change in demographic is looking, where we're all living for longer, mm. and the kind of the population hump is moving to the to the right, if you like, and so we hope for this wave of of unfortunately Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease and and related aging related neurodegenerative conditions, we're going to ultimately see potential infusion therapies, antibody therapies. Um, which again, this is the challenge in medicine, will keep us all alive for longer to develop other problems. And that's the economic, the health economics is is difficult. The more successful you are, the more expensive it is. And this is what our Minister for Health is dealing with, unfortunately. But uh, from a patient's point of view, it's, it's a wonderful thing to see on the horizon. Anyway, Professor Ridgewald, keep up your brilliant work. Liz Nugent, you're such a brilliant writer, but also I wish you the very best. I hope it goes well. I look forward to interviewing when you come back with your own batteries and everything. It'll be fascinating. Thank you so much and thank keep you. all your great thank work. You very After much. the break, we'll be getting some great music from Steer Wall, but we'll take a break now. And back to Liz. Lots of people saying great things about Liz Nugent. Paul and the Liberty says, what an amazing interview, Liz. Wish you the very best.